Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, and can be found on your handouts or on page 1,218 of the Church Bible. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in the scriptures it says, See, I lay stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, royal, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they, are, they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Anyone. There was that Christmas Eve gathering that turned into a baptism when someone kicked the water bucket over <laughs> and it rushed down on all the seats over here. And Richard, with his quick wit, said, oh, baptism gathering for Christmas Eve. <laughs> it's just wonderful to be back in Switzerland. It's wonderful to be among so many friends and see familiar faces. I, I am thinking that pastoring in Zurich must have been because I didn't have any gray hairs when I was here. Doesn't work, apparently. It's, it's not working, huh? Oh, it's out again. <laughs> I'd like you can take this one. Wait a second. It's not working. So now? Oh, there we go. Well, it's wonderful to be here. And you can actually hear me now. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the sweetness of your community. Thank you for the people of God who have gathered here today to worship you. And thank you for the relationships that are made here and grow here and spread out to all the ends of the earth. 
And I pray your blessing upon what we do here this morning. May it give you the honor and glory that only you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I do send greetings from James and Renata Boltema. My family and I just got back from serving for two and a half weeks at an adventure experience called Olive Grove for third culture children. Malia was a counselor, Lori was a counselor, Annie and Jocelyn both attended, and the Boltemas send their greeting. You'll get to hear from James on the 9th of July here at IPC Zurich, which was a great thing there. But I will give you just a little uh, God blessing, God moment, uh, providence of God. I am now the pastor of a church in Montecito, California called El Montecito Presbyterian Church. And when I came to interview for that job, it was a secret that I was interviewing. I wasn't advertising it out to the wide population. And I showed up to the host house where I was going to stay for a few days as I interviewed for the job. And as I walked in the door, down the stairs comes James Boltema. <laughs> and praise the Lord, I remembered his name out of context. And I said, James, and he said, Tom, and he gave me a big hug and we laughed and he said, this church that you're applying for sent me and Renata 30 years ago to Turkey as missionaries. We're still their largest supporting church and we have a partnership with them. Well, a couple of months ago, it was brought to our attention that not one pastor had ever visited the Boltimas in Turkey from El Montecito Presbyterian Church. And the session decided that was unacceptable, and they put me and Lori and the girls on a plane and sent us over to Turkey, and we decided we needed to extend our trip to Zurich. <laughs> so we arrived last night from Turkey. We're exhausted, but energized. You guys know that feeling when you serve the Lord? You're spent, but you're energized, and we're so delighted to be here. Well, in Lewis Carroll's book, Alice in Wonderland, Published in 1865, Alice comes across a caterpillar who asks her a question. Who are you? Her response is very interesting. Alice replied rather shyly, I, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have been changed several times since then. What do you mean by that, said the caterpillar sternly. Explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice, because I'm not myself, you see. I don't see, said the caterpillar. I'm afraid I can't put it more clearly, Alice replied very politely, for I can't understand it myself to begin with, and being so many different sizes in a day is very confusing. In 2023, I believe that one of the most pressing issues facing us, facing anyone in the world, is the question of identity. Everyone seems to be asking the question, who am I? Who are we? I think a lot of us feel like Alice in Wonderland at times. We've created for ourselves an identity in our family, our workplace, with our friends, on social media, or when we think nobody is looking. The world tells us our identity is grounded in everything from our sexuality to our failures to our accomplishments to what brand of water we drink. Identity is a hot topic 
in our culture and in the Christian culture and in our churches. And we need to understand what the Bible says about identity, about our identity. So this morning, as I was looking at a place to, to take you all, I want to bring you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. So go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them with you. We're going to walk through this short passage together this morning. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. And I know they were just read for us, but I want us to hear them again as I talk through them. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God as precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So to help us wrestle through that question, who am I, or who are we, Peter begins with another question, right here in this text. He asks the question, does the church really matter? Does the church really matter? The question of does the church really matter is an important one to think about and answer. We live in a post-Christian culture. There are lots of reasons people give for why the church is irrelevant, why the church doesn't matter. Just to name a few, in our highly individualistic culture and society, people think their relationship with Jesus is a private matter. People ask, why do I need the messy church when all I need to worship God is a beautiful view of the Swiss Alps, an internet connection, and a steaming cup of decaf latte? In our consumer-driven culture, people come to church and they ask, what's in it for me? What did I like or dislike? Attitude is, is their perspective. Now, in fairness to this congregation here, of all the churches I've served in, this was the least consumeristic church I've ever been a part of. And I know there's many reasons for that, but to be honest, it's probably because when you're looking for a church in Zurich that speaks English and preaches God's word and loves Jesus Christ, there's not a whole lot of options. And that was really good for me and Richard and for this church. Because we didn't have to come up with the latest, greatest program that would make sure everyone came to this church and we wanted to make sure we had the, the biggest budget and the biggest coffee house and whatever else we could do. We just said, you know what? We believe God's word is our authority. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And yes, we speak the English language sometimes. <laughs> most of the time. In our overly sensitive culture, 
People are, people are easily offended by the church. They're hurt by the church. And yes, sometimes God's sheep bite one another. And yes, sometimes God's shepherds are bad shepherds who put their own needs in front of the flocks. And sometimes the church doesn't seem to care about the things that we care about. We've all been hurt by someone in the church who was too opinionated or too dogmatic or too political or not political enough or too judgmental, whatever it might be. Billy Graham once said, if you find the perfect church, join it. But just know as soon as you join it, it's no longer the perfect church. Joining the church is uncomfortable. It's costly. It's sacrificial. And it's amazing. Not because it's easy, but because it's what God designed and exactly what we need to thrive in this world. In around 60 AD, Peter, writing to a group of scattered Christians throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, where we just were, doesn't address them as a collection of individuals. He addresses them as something amazing. Peter says, the New Testament church is the true Israel. Peter says the New Testament church is the continuation and fulfillment of the believing remnant of God's loved covenant people. The church, the people of God, is none other than the body of Christ. And the church is not a building. You know that in this congregation better than any. You borrow buildings. You rent buildings. And praise the Lord for that because you never get confused that the church is a people, not a building. In his book, The Living Church, John Stott wrote, an unchurched Christian is a grotesque anomaly. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, Peter describes the church as living stones being built up into a spiritual house of God. Yes, those who follow Jesus will be rejected by people. That's because Jesus was rejected by people and he suffered persecution. But Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus, Peter says, is the living stone, the very cornerstone and foundation of God's new temple. In Matthew 16, verse 17, and in John 1, 42, Jesus gives Peter a nickname. You guys know what that nickname is. It's fantastic. I love that he gets this nickname. And it's recorded for us in scripture. He called him the rock. Pete. You're the rock. I imagine Peter sort of, you know, got a little excited about that. <laughs> Call me the rock, Jesus? Did you say the rock? Yep. And on this rock, I will build my church. But let's not get confused. No way is Peter the solid rock. 
that's being, the church is being built upon. The solid rock is Jesus Christ, who's the cornerstone. And Lydia, thank you. You did pull out the definition of a cornerstone from those kids. A cornerstone is a stone that's in the corner. <laughs> it's the first stone that's set in the foundation. All other stones are placed in reference to that stone. If that stone is out of kilter, then the whole foundation is off. That cornerstone determines and sets the position for the entire structure. Peter doesn't say Jesus is building his church on him as the rock. Peter tells us we're coming to Jesus, who is the cornerstone of the house of God as his church. The building block on which the whole church rests is Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And Peter goes back to the Old Testament and he quotes Isaiah 28, verse 16. And he says, Jesus Christ is the precious cornerstone. What a beautiful image. The precious cornerstone. A gemstone stands out from all the other stones because of its beauty and its value. Jesus stands out because he is precious in God's sight. According to the Bible, just how precious is Jesus? How much is Jesus worth? Where should Jesus land in our scale of desires and priorities? Well, to answer that question, Jesus told a parable. In Matthew chapter 13, verses, verse 44, and Peter was probably there listening the first time the story was told, which I love. In this story, Jesus describes how precious it is to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And since Jesus himself is the king of that kingdom and the one who makes it valuable, this parable applies to Jesus. This parable gives us a glimpse into just how precious Jesus is. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. The man doesn't sell all he had with a chip on his shoulder. Oh, man, I got to sell everything I got. Big yard sale, it's all going. Everything's being sold. No, it says he sold it with joy. He's excited about this. He says, this is treasure and it's precious and whatever price I have to pay it is a bargain compared to what I'm getting Jesus is worth so much more than anything else in this entire world and here's something I want you to hear so clearly every pain every suffering every loss we endure for the sake of Jesus and to have more of him can be endured with joy. Joy. Paul gives us an example of this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, when he said, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. One of the marks of a child of God is not that we are perfect or that we've arrived. A child of God longs for more of Jesus, thirsts 
for more of God's word and aches for Christian fellowship. No Christian should ever be satisfied this side of heaven with his or her present condition. We should be hungry for Jesus and want more of him and taste and see that the Lord is good and then hunger more for Jesus. And when we finally enter his presence with rejoicing, our endless song will be the song of the angels in Revelation 5 saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That begins right here on earth. Our lives are full of praise and worship for what we value most. And I pray that we here this morning would love Jesus more than anything. So that's what it means when it says that Jesus is the cornerstone, the vital support, the church's foundation. Everything is held up to him. If you take him out of the building, the whole thing collapses. If you take him out of the community of faith, the whole thing collapses. But we're called to come to him and rest everything on him alone. And in this passage, Peter says when we come to Jesus, we're joined to each other as living stones built up into God's holy temple to be a holy priesthood. That is why the church matters. That's the positive. Now here's the negative. Anyone who rejects Christ, the cornerstone, will stumble and fall over the cornerstone. And according to Peter, stumbling is their own fault. They trip because they refuse to embrace the truth of the gospel. They stumble because they deny the truth of Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. So that brings us back to our initial question. Does the church really matter in 2023? Well, Peter describes both Jesus and Christian believers as living stones being built into a spiritual house in which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. That is how God describes the church, his body. Christian believers form this spiritual house. We were once not a people, but now they are God's people, and it means that Christians are chosen and precious to God. Does the church really matter? You bet it matters. You bet it matters. Some people want Jesus, but they just want nothing to do with this church. You know those type of people. According to 1 John 1.21, if we love Jesus, we must love his church. And if we do not love his church, we do not love him. Ouch. Wow. You know, one evidence of saving faith in Jesus Christ is that we gather together with other believers from around the world like we're doing right now to worship God, to serve God, to love God, and to love one another. If you're not part of a local, Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring, God-worshiping church, it's time to join one. And if you are a member or a regular attender here at IPC Zurich, it's time to use your gifts in serving the Lord where you're most needed. Find a place in this congregation where you can worship God. You can grow in your love for God's word. 
And you can give of yourself in serving the Lord. When I became a Christian during my freshman year of college, I began serving as a volunteer Young Life leader. Young Life is a parachurch organization that shares the gospel with high school students around the world. There was a Young Life chapter here in Zurich when I was pastoring. Not even sure if it's still going. I went to a local church every Sunday. I worshiped there, but I was a Young Life leader. During my senior year at the University of Georgia, I was asked by a local pastor to serve as his youth pastor. He got my name from the Young Life area director who said, hey, this guy, Tom, you know, he loves Jesus. He'd probably make a good youth pastor. You should go talk to him. And I met with this man, and I said, you know what? It sounds all great and everything, but I'm a Young Life leader, and I'm not sure about serving in the local church. And he said, you know what, Tom, why don't you just pray about it and then call me if you decide you want to do anything about this. So I did. I went home and I prayed about it. And as I was reading the scriptures, I came across Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, where Paul says, Christ the bridegroom has sacrificially and lovingly chosen the church as his bride. Wow. I called Foley Beach, who was the pastor of that church. Foley's now the Archbishop of the Anglican Church of North America. Amazing man of God. And I said to him, you know, Foley, I love young life, but I also need to learn to love the bride of Christ. I I will serve as your youth pastor. And after I graduated from the University of Georgia, that church and young life offered me full-time jobs, and I took the church job. And that church sent me to seminary where I met a man named Scott Gibson who pulled me aside and said, my boy, you need to be a pastor of a local church. And then I found an ad in Christianity Today that said that IPC Zurich was looking for a pastor. (laughs) And I called the number on that ad. And I said, hey, what do you think? And Richard said, I really like Young Life. I think you should apply. Coming to Christ means we're incorporated into the church. We cannot fully love Christ without also loving his church, which is his bride and his body. The greatest gift you could give your new pastor is to love the bride of Christ with your whole heart and all your energy and all your strength. Now, according to Peter, we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's the cornerstone, or we stumble over Christ as the living stone. But the church matters because the church is the body of Christ, and the church has an incredibly, incredibly special and important identity. Now let's look at that question of who are we. Now that we know the church matters, let's look at the question of who we are. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you, I love that right there. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Oh, I want to unpack that just real quickly. Peter begins by answering the question, who are we with four descriptors? We are a chosen race, he says. God, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, is the one who initiated this relationship with us, and it's not based on our own merit. It's not about bloodlines or bank accounts or pedigrees or families. God's people are God's people because of God's choice, God's unmerited favor, God's unmerited love. One of the things I love about IPC Zurich is that by the grace of God, people from all different nations and backgrounds come to this church. We don't have time to do it right now, but I imagine if we took a survey, when I was here, it was about 60 different passport countries represented in this congregation. And I imagine that number is very similar. This body is so special around the world. I want you to know that. You people are so special what you're doing here matters, and it is so precious. It is the closest picture to heaven in worship that I think you will ever see on earth. You probably won't find it in another country. So as long as God has you here, embrace that. Embrace that. This body is a picture of up there, coming down here and invading this city for the glory of God. How's the invasion going? <laughs> it's a tough city. I read surveys. I stay in touch with what's going on in Zurich. I pastor in a city in the United States that's one of the top ten post-Christian cities in America. And it's a little better than you guys are right now. But God is on the move, folks. And by his power and his Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word and the centrality of Jesus Christ, we can be up there, down here in Zurich, in Zurich as it is in heaven. But it's more than just people from different backgrounds gathering together. I love that I'm still seeing you all open your lives up to one another as scripture commands us to do. When we pulled into town late last night, we had the key to someone's house that were out of town. And they said, make yourself at home. This is your home in Zurich. I'm not going to tell you who that is because you might go over there and try to take it as well. <laughs> and then we had another family that had made pizza and brownies and made us feel like we were back in the United States of America. <laughs> but the conversation and the sweetness, it was like we had never been apart. It's a special place. Andy Stanley, a pastor in the United States in my hometown of Georgia, he once said the primary activity of the church should be one anothering one another. One anothering one another. That's a mouthful. Here are some one another statements in Scripture. In the Bible, it says 15 times to love one another, it says to be at peace with one another, it tells us to wash one another's feet. Be of the same mind with one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Let's take a moment right now and just do that. <laughs> just kidding. Wait till we get to kiss one another. 
Through love, serve one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Honor one another as more important than yourself. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. That's a lot of one anothering one another, isn't it? What's beautiful about the church is that when these characteristics of one anothering one another become habits, people who normally wouldn't do life together begin to share life together because we are a chosen people, Peter says. And then he says something even more incredible than I can imagine. He says you're a royal priesthood. All Christians, according to the Bible, are considered priests. Through Jesus, we have intimate access with God. We don't need human priests to make sacrifices and mediate on our behalf. Jesus is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice. And because of Jesus, we can come boldly into God's presence. Peter says we are a royal priesthood who only need Jesus to stand between us and the Father. I hesitate to even quote from this next guy because he's from a country just a little bit north of here. And he had this thing called the Protestant Reformation that he'd begun. But I sort of like the Zwingli side of that Protestant Reformation, you know, being a Zurich guy. But Martin Luther did point out in an article called The Babylonian Captivity of the Church that all we who are Christians are priests, and no believer has greater access to the Creator than one another. Pastors and elders are appointed to teach the church God's will from God's word, but they don't represent people before God like priests of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. In Christ, there is a royal priesthood of all believers, and anyone who trusts in Jesus alone for salvation has free access into God's presence, a royal priesthood called to pour out our lives as sacrifices for God's glory. That's what Paul meant in Romans 12.1 when he said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. For Christians as a royal priesthood, our lives must be offered as a service to God, and that includes our vocations. Whether you're a student or a designer or an architect, a banker, a financial planner, computer programmer, mechanic, law enforcement, doctor, plumber, custodian, administrator, teacher, stay-at-home mom, lawyer, retirees, anything else. We are priests and we must serve God and neighbor in our work because we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. That word means we're set apart, we're distinct. Could also mean we're a little weird, which is okay. Weird in the best sense of that word. And at the same time, Christians are set apart. We're also called to be deeply involved. We're part of forming a new culture that is God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the new community that Christ is shaping everywhere. Our leadership structures, how we do business, how we spend our money, how we view our ethics, how we're entertained. That's what Peter is getting at in verses 11 to 12 when he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... 
to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Back in 60 AD when Peter wrote this letter, there were a lot of ways that the church was set apart from the world. The church refused to participate in this bloodthirsty entertainment that they called gladiator contests. They just refused to do that. The church did not support abortion or infanticide in 60 AD. The church empowered women and children and slaves to be more than the Roman culture allowed. It was incredibly countercultural. The church held to a biblical sexual ethic. They believed that sex and marriage were reserved for one man and one woman in 60 AD. And the church was radically caring for the poor and the widows. The church mixed people together from all races and socioeconomic classes. And the church believed, and this is what actually got them into big trouble in Roman culture in 60 AD. They had the audacity to believe that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one came to the Father except through him. That's when you all go, and you gasp. It's my prayer that the church today would not be afraid to be set apart as holy, a holy nation from our culture, whatever that culture might be. And it's my prayer that we would daily display the power of the gospel in our lives. We are at the same time holy and set apart, but we're also called to be salt and light in this world. And salt doesn't do a very good job if it stays in the salt shaker on the table. And light doesn't do a very good job if it's hidden in a way and not turned on. We are a holy nation and we are God's special possession. God owns everything. But he has secured for himself through Jesus a special and uniquely blessed people. Who are we? We're a people so loved by God that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how special you are to God. That's who God made us to be. The author George MacDonald once wrote, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. And he could think of some pretty glorious creatures. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. IPC Zurich, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And when this is who the church is, Peter tells us exactly what the church will do. We will declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. So what's the purpose of the church, of those who are in Christ? We are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Light, And we declare the praises of Christ when we know who we are in Christ. When we enter the mess of this world and we do life together. So let's speak into each other's lives on a deep level and help make disciples. Let's welcome those from outside this community 
with a warm embrace and a come-as-you-are attitude. Let's share the good news of Jesus Christ with others so they can come to know Jesus in an intimate and personal way. And God gets more glory and more praise and more honor. As I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, I'm convinced that we can't know God, change deeply, or impact our world for God's glory apart from this chosen community that he calls the church, the body of Christ, And I hate to say this to you folks, but I know you've experienced it. The church is going to disappoint you. It's going to let you down. It gets messy. Your leadership will fail. You will fail. You will get frustrated and it will cost you deeply. But it is how we will declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. And that is good enough for me. Do we matter? (laughs) I don't know if you guys believe that this morning. Do we matter? Yes. Does the church matter? Yes. Jesus laid down his life for the church. And through the church, we honor God. We grow in our love for God's word. And we give of ourselves in serving in this world. Father God, I love these people. And I love this place you call IPC Zurich. And I'm so thankful that in 1961, a group of people gathered together and said, let's be the body of Christ in Zurich. I pray your blessing upon all those who proclaim your name in this city and in this country. May you fan into flame that which has gone to ember in in the world. Wake us up, Lord, and may we proclaim your glorious riches to the world. Give us courage and give us strength and bless this congregation now for your glory. In Jesus Christ's precious name, amen.